You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died... More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks for that reading, Michelle. Um, My name is Joash, for those of you who might not know me. Um, I'm one of the apprentices that works here at Monash, um, Clayton and Caulfield. Um, I'm not Stu. I'm sorry about that. Um, Stu is at a leadership development camp. Karen's shrugging. We know it's a good thing. He's um, he's far away, and so um, I've been given you know the absolute honour and privilege to be preaching through this wonderful passage today. And we are coming to the end of our series on Romans, aren't we? And we are trying to understand um, how it's all about grace. It's all about grace. See, in Romans one, we have this story where. Um, Paul is laying out that there's this group of people, the Gentiles, and they have rejected God so much so that they are blind to him. And their evil runs so deep that they teach each other to do the same thing, encourage each other in how to do evil. And Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven, just poured out on them. And it's waiting a day where they will be fully destroyed, but it's just sitting over their heads. But to the side, there's some Jewish people crossing their arms. They're really happy. They're saying, ha, yeah, of course those Gentiles are going to get it. They're evil, aren't they? They don't honor God. But then God says, therefore, you too will experience that wrath. Why? Because you were supposed to know, weren't you? You had the law, the prophets, the kings, everything, yet you failed as well. And that wrath sits over you too. And so both the licentious, salacious, impious, idolatrous Gentile and the hypocritical, 
self-righteous, moralizing Jew, they sit under God's wrath. But now a righteousness is being revealed from heaven apart from the works of the law. See, the thing is the Jewish people, and even to some degree some Gentiles, think that the way to God is to do the right thing, that when you do the right thing, God will be right with you and he will invite you into his presence. But that is not the case. All people have failed. And so the good news is that righteousness is being revealed apart from the works of the law. And that's the gospel, the gospel of grace, that both the Jew and the Gentile are justified and made right before God by their faith in Christ, whose blood has got rid of their sin, satisfied God's righteous wrath. And not only that, God has given us his righteousness. That's the good news. Now, can you just imagine what that would be like for someone who lived their whole life trying to keep the rules? And Paul spends the next chapters, five to eight, defending that gospel of grace. Um, at the start of the series, uh, Stu called it um, Paul's difficult second album, his words, not mine, where he goes through the, um, the implications or maybe even more so the objections to the gospel of grace. Imagine this, it's like Paul, he's writing a letter, he's anticipating all the objections that are going to come up. It's like a classroom and hands are flying up everywhere after he finishes his gospel in four chapters. First the hands up goes and it's like that really um, um, switched on kid in the front row puts his hand up and goes, well, what do I gain now? What's the point? And Paul says, you gain hope, joy. Why? Peace, because you're justified now and you can live a life of peace. And then someone asks, well, how does it work that because Jesus died, all my righteousness, all the righteousness goes to everyone? He says, well, if Adam's sin can be transmitted to all people through one act, then through Christ, his righteous act can be transmitted to all people. That's how it works. And then there's a kid up the back with two hands up. He's got two hands. He's waving. Paul goes, um, okay, you, you up the back. He puts one hand down. He goes, Can I, so does that mean I just keep on sinning? <laughs> Can I just keep on sinning as much as I want? Paul says, no, of course not. You were baptized in Christ and now you live in a new way. But you still got a hand up. And then Paul goes, do you have another question? He says, yeah, it's the same question. Can I keep on sinning? <laughs> and Paul says, no, of course not. Romans 6, you were once a slave to to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. You've been saved into a new type of slavery, slavery to God. So of course you can't sin. And then a question comes up from that really smart kid in the class. He's stroking his beard. Mm. Do What was the point of the law then, Romans 7? Why did we need it? Can we just get rid of it? No, Paul says no. The law was important in showing you your sin. Oh, so then we can just ignore it. No, no. Well, then it's really important. No, it, you're not justified by your keeping of the law. It is there to show you your sinfulness. And the law is not a bad thing, but it's sin in you which takes advantage of the law and produces death and sin. And then someone asks, well, then how can I move into this new type of living, right? What's changed? So I've been justified. I've been declared righteous by God. But how can I now live in a new way? And Paul says, yeah, Romans 8, you now have the spirit. You live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. That's how you now live this new life. And not only that, the Spirit is a marker that you've been adopted as God's child. It helps through, through your suffering. In fact, even when you don't know how to pray, the, the Spirit prays for you. And all these objections to how the mechanism of the gospel works, they, they fall away. 
But then we come to one last question. It's like there's a, a, someone in the middle of the classroom timidly raising their hand up. And they say, how do I know it's going to work out? You've, you've explained all the bits and pieces, and I get the concept, but how do I know that when I face judgment, that God's wrath, that I'm going to walk under it? Or, or maybe more accurately, it's going to pass over me. How do I know that when the cards fall, the dust settles, the time runs out, and I get to the end, that I'm going to be saved? We're going to read through Paul's very pastoral response. He, he responds to this question. But I want you to not miss something because he, he definitely has the heart of a pastor. He's trying to answer this question, this objection that he anticipates. But in it, you are going to see the majesty of God. His response is just majestic. And so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come in joy and expectation to hear how your word will be preached today. Please, Lord, let me speak clearly and faithfully. Help me, God, in my weakness to show them your majesty. And I pray that the people here will see your majesty and have total confidence and assurance that the gospel of grace, which they have put all eggs in their basket for, will work out. God, we ask that your spirit will be here helping us to understand your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So that question, is it going to work out? There are three main reasons why someone may ask that question. Some of you like take notes. That warms my heart. If you are a note taker, if you're not, that's cool. These are the kind of the points for what we're going to be talking about today. The first reason is because you think that you've got a part to play and you messed it up. So that's why you're worried that you're not sure the gospel's going to work out. Two, you think that God couldn't forgive you for what you've done. And three, the pressures and stresses and suffering of life make you worry that you're going to fall away. And we're going to be working through those together. But first, an exercise. What I want you to do is turn to the person next to you and we're going to play a game. We're going to, the game is called Find the Oldest Christian. So, um, and what I, mean by, what I mean by that is when you became a Christian. So when did you decide to become a Christian. So turn to the person next to you and in pairs find out who was the one who became a Christian first. Let's go. All right. So if you've been a Christian for more, less than five years, sit down. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. We have the oldest Christian, Karen. <laughs> 30, 40, 30, 40 years. What I hope to show you is what Paul hopes to show you, that that whole thing that we just did was a pointless exercise. <laughs> and we're going to realize that our salvation was not some moment that we decide to become a Christian fixed and huge, but actually God has planned your salvation from eternity past through to eternity future. So keep your Bibles open, because we don't have the slides, um, and read with me. So what does it say in verse 28? In all things we know that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined 
to be conformed into the image of his son so that he may be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. For those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you ever doubt your salvation because you think you've messed your part up? Do you see what God has done for you? That even before atoms existed, let alone you were created, he knew you. And he planned that you would be conformed into the image of his son. He foreknew you before time began. He chose and predestined you. And what did he do next? He called you. The fact that you're a Christian today is because you responded to the gospel. Do you realize that? That it wasn't just something that just happened within you, but it actually, you had to be called, that you had to hear the gospel. And that that didn't come to you by your own choice, your own volition, did it? God made it happen in your life. And we know that that calling works. He's powerful over salvation, isn't he? For those he called, he also justified. What does that mean? He declared you righteous in his eyes. And you may notice the the tenses of these words are in the uh, past tense. They've kind of happened. You might wonder, I haven't been glorified. I haven't haven't died yet. (laughs) I've been raised to glory, have I? Oh, no, you haven't. (laughs) But Paul is so convinced of every part of this change that he just, you've been glorified. It will happen. Every single part of it will happen. Now, I wonder... That question that you may be having that Paul is addressing today, is the gospel going to work out? We've, we've heard it for eight chapters. Is it going to work? The only reason that that question, that doubt, has any rhetorical force, any edge, is if you think you had a part to play in it and that you messed it up. Isn't that right? Because if God, let's imagine that God did 99.95% of it and he left 0.05% of it to you. Is that correct? That's not right, is it? <laughs> 0.5%. And, and he gave that to you and you said, you need to sort that bit out. Do you reckon you would have done it? You know yourself. I know myself. And you're, I know that about you. And you know that about me, don't you? The only way that you can have total assurance is the fact that God did the whole thing and that he will carry you the whole way. Now, some of you might be concerned thinking, wait, does that mean... How does that work for my free choice? (laughs) How weird is it that your mind goes there, isn't it? You don't rest in the fact that God has saved you. You don't have peace in that. But we're trying to fight for our little bit in the story. But let me offer you today that that little bit you're fighting for is the thing that may give you the doubt. Not only that, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Some of you might be thinking, okay, well, God does all bits of it, but I know people who fall away. What if there's something in the future that's going to stop me from becoming a Christian? Do you notice how you just shifted the goalposts from now to the future? Thinking about something that you might mess up, not trusting that he will complete the process that he has promised to do. If you're seeking assurance for your salvation, do you notice how Paul doesn't talk about the the integrity of your Christian belief in this passage, in this little bit here? What does he say? The majesty of God. 
He does everything. See, it's not going to be some rational ascension of the soul or some affection that you have that's going to make you sure of your salvation. It's seeing the majesty of God and how he has planned all of salvation. And that's the first point. He has planned all of salvation. That's how you know the gospel is going to work out. Not only that, did you notice the, both the depth and the breadth of it? At every aspect, he does every single part. You couldn't justify yourself. You can't glorify yourself. He did it. You certainly can't foreknow yourself. <laughs> and so he does every part, the depth of his salvation, but the breadth of it, every aspect that you could possibly imagine. Is the gospel going to work out? Yeah, because God has planned all of salvation. But now you might have a question. So what does, Paul, what does the scripture say next? What, what does Paul say? What shall we say in response to these things? And then he starts the next section. Because now lies the problem. If you believe, rightly so, that God has worked out every bit of your salvation, then the problem is that he takes you as you are, doesn't he? Because you can't improve your situation. He does it all. So you can't make yourself better in his eyes. And you might have had that moment, you know. I don't know, but this question, is the gospel going to work? Is something I've wrestled with deeply. Countless nights where I can't sleep thinking, Am I going to be saved? And the reason is because I know myself and the sin that I have committed repetitively, knowingly. And I think, man, how could God save me? If he does everything, he takes me as I am. And as I am, I wouldn't take me. Why would he take me? I want to totally about an illustration that you might have heard early this semester at CU. Now, you might remember we had a Mark series, kind of imploded. <laughs> uh, the committee's probably like, yeah. Um, you know, I think COVID, all sorts of things. But there was a sermon that Stu gave, and he, he had an illustration about a, an art student. You might remember this. He was driving. He smashed a car into an engineering street. Some of you actually not anyway. I'm glad you did. Because this part two of the story, guys. Um, don't worry. I'm going to embellish, and uh, you don't have to know part one. But basically... Is an art student. His name's Jacob. <laughs> I haven't, sorry, I haven't told him I was going to do this. I'm sorry. His name's Jacob. He's driving on Wellington Road and he smashes into. Do you study Eng? No. No. What do you study? Commerce. Commerce. I need an Eng student. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, no, I don't need an Eng student. Jacob is driving and he smashes a car into a, a rich engineering student, right? Mm. And in that story that Stu talked about, the person kind of, they made peace. But in this story, the engineering student strikes back and he says, Jacob. That was my dad's car. It was real expensive. I'm going to need your license. And we're going to take this to, uh, to court or something. <laughs> <laughs> and so they swap licenses. Jason, uh, J J Jacob, Jacob looks at the license and he sees the guy's name. His name's um, he's Bob Spanner Jr. That's his name. Um, that's, that's the name of the engineer, Bob Spanner Jr. And uh, he goes, oh, man, I'm, I'm so poor. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so poor and I'm so stuffed. What am I going to do? He's Googling, like, how do I sell a kidney? How much, is a, <laughs> how much does a kidney cost? Will it cover a car? Uh, and he's, he's really stressed out. He goes home to his dad, um, Jacob's dad, Mr. York, and um, they have a chat and, and Mr. York says, um, it's okay, look, it's, we just got to deal with it. We'll see what happens. To take your mind off it, you know, I'm going to a party tonight. One of my friends from high school is coming. He's the new judge in town. Um, come and just, yeah, we'll just, we'll see how we go afterwards. 
um, yeah, he's a great friend. His name's Bob Spanner Senior. Twist, yeah, <laughs> twist. And now Jacob is sweat, sweating bullets. I believe that's the term. Uh, and his clothes are drenched. Um, it's pretty weird. And he's going, "I'm going to meet the guy whose car I smashed," and he's the judge of the town. I'm so screwed. And he goes to the party, and then um, he sees the guy whose car he's hit, and then. His dad, Mr. York, and this guy, Bob Spanner Sr., they, they meet together and they, they hug because they're all friends. And the engineering students there, wide-eyed, that's the guy who hit my car. <laughs> and the judge goes, what? It was you. Are you Mr. York's son? He's like, yeah, I'm Jacob. He goes, wow, that cost a lot, but I'll pay it. On account of the friendship with your, I have with your dad, I'll pay it. Don't worry. But just rock up to court just as we have to do the proceedings and don't worry about it. I'll sort it out. It's paid. And Jacob, he's kind of happy, but he's also a bit stressed. And he comes and talks to Josh, who's a commerce student, very logical. And he goes, I am stressed, Josh. I'm worried about this court hearing. And Josh goes, you know, I calculate the percentage of your chance of being convicted <laughs> as, as, as zero. Why are you worried about it? This story, this story is so crazy, right? Every part of it is sorted out for you. And that is what has happened to you. What does it say? It says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Did he who not spare his own son and gave him up for us all, will he not along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who there, who there can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus died and more than that was raised to life and is at the right hand of the Father, sorry, at the right hand of God interceding for us. Do you get what's happened to you? You have committed treason against the king, the judge. But just for a second in that story, it sounded a bit far-fetched in it, but I just don't want you to think that this is a sham court. A price was paid. Christ Jesus died for your sins. That was the greatest price that God could have paid. And not only that, God is the one who's going to judge you and he's the one who says, I'm going to let you go and I've paid a price to show you that, that that's true. And not only that, if you don't believe, you've got the best lawyer in town. Jesus is constantly interceding for you and because they love each other so much, he's going to listen and say, she's in me, he's in me, have mercy on them. How could you be worried about your judgment to come? You will face it, it will come, but how could you be worried about it? Every aspect of this courtroom drama has been sorted out for you. The only reason you probably don't believe it is because you don't think the price paid was high enough. That your sin somehow is more deep and, and worse than what God has done for you. And again, Paul says, look to the majesty of God. That's how you'll get assurance. Look at what he has done. And so... We now move from these kind of big picture stuff. And Paul goes, well, what is the thing that might trip them up? You go, sure, yeah, God has planned all the salvation. Two, I, there's no condemnation. 
um, th three, well, what is the thing that he addresses next? It's the trials and suffering of this life. See, he moves next to the section to say, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? He knows that the thing you're probably thinking is, is there something in my future that's going to stop me from becoming a Christian? What did he say? He lists a whole bunch of really bad stuff, doesn't he? Shall it be trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He quotes a psalm. He says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to Psalm 44 and we're going to read the rest of that just to get into the, the mindset of what Paul is saying. Feel free to listen as well. So he says, for we face death all the day long for your sake. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What do you say? Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Now that psalm was probably written, look, somewhere between 700 and 1500 years ago. Centuries. Centuries. Paul uses it here in this passage here in Romans to a church that is oppressed. Thousands or sorry, hundreds of years. And you know what? In some senses, that psalm wasn't truly answered, was it? In the sense that we're thinking about it. Were they delivered from their oppression? No. They would be sought out, the Christians in the early church, rounded up, tortured, killed. Why? Because of God. Their faith in God. That, it's for his sake that that's happening. God is like letting this happen. Why would he do that? Why would he let this suffering happen to you? Persecution to you. Why? What does he say? No. In all these things. Pause. In all these things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, these things you are considered more than conquerors. And what it kind of means in the Greek is that you're a super conqueror. It's not some other type of thing. This is the way that you are declared victorious. It's through your suffering and your persecution. A lot of us will thank God, rightly so, for the good things that he has done in our lives. But do you realize that you endure trials, suffering, persecution, as almost evidence that your faith will progress, that you will be saved, that, that God is using these things to show you that he's going to work it out? If you don't believe me, let me tell you a story. Um, one of my mum's friends, her name is Stanya. I had her permission to tell the story, but the one thing she wanted me to say is that you don't pity her. I don't think you will at the end of this story. Um, she was not a Christian. She's an Eastern European lady, got married, and started a butcher shop somewhere in the inner east of Melbourne. Became very wealthy very fast. But um, her family worked, her, her husband and her worked so hard that they burnt out. And uh, their marriage broke down. And um, the husband, he took the shop, he took everything, and she walked out with three kids and I think $16. Nothing. Total deprivation of everything she had. And uh, a few years later, 
her daughter was driving on Burwood Highway just a few streets down, was hit by a car and died. And it was through this that she came to her faith in Jesus and her faith grew. The story doesn't end there. Because of the tragedy of that, a few years later when her, her son turned 18, he wrote a note saying it was too much. And uh, he took his own life. Fast forward a few more years and her husband does the same. And now her eldest daughter constantly mocks her. How could you worship that God? How could you have faith in that God? But every day that Stania walks through life, she perseveres. And more trials have appeared. She was recently diagnosed with cancer. And she has no friends, no money, no one to rely on. But she knows and trusts in the God that has got her through each of the trials that she has gone through. And she knows, and I hope that you know, that God will deliver you, not from your trials, not away from them, right? But through them. And now we get some clarity about what verse 28 talks about. Some people think it means that when God works good for those who love him, it means that he's going to deliver you from any suffering. He's going to deliver you from all bad things and he's just going to give you good things. That can't be the case because he tells us that we are considered sheep to be slaughtered, right? No, it's through suffering that you can almost have confidence in the fact that you're going to be saved. Why? Because you know that God has delivered you and he's going to deliver you through what you're going through. And no matter what comes in your future, like you guys are young. I remember when I was at uni, I didn't think that suffering would come my way foolishly. But let me tell you, I'm not that many years old than you, but already I struggle with physical stuff. And um, some of the older staff workers probably share the same. Right? It will come, whether it's disease, relationship breakdown, um, all sorts of things. Um, but you don't need a fear, Christian. Why? Because God has planned all your salvation. And he will use these things to show you have trust in him. He says, no, in all these things, we are considered more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is by God's grace, by the way, that you'll make it through these things, not through some personal strength of your own. And then what does he say? Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, none of those things. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nothing in death, nothing in life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, you don't need to worry about that either, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is the gospel of grace going to work out? Yes, it is. Why? One. God has planned all of your salvation from eternity past to eternity future, all of it. Two, there's no condemnation. You're in an enviable legal position, aren't you? In fact, someone can only look at you from the outside and go, I want that. So, of course, it's going to work out. And three, if you forget those things, you know what? In his mercy and grace, you'll go through trouble and hardship and you will be delivered through his grace and nothing to show you that nothing can separate you from his love. And no matter what happens, if death swallows you up, you can have confidence in him. And do you realize something? That all of you here who have faith in Christ, that one day the gospel is going to work out 
You're not going to face God's wrath. It's been absorbed by Christ. You are going to walk in a new Eden. And you're going to eat from the tree of life. And you're going to beat your swords into plowshares and you're going to sit under your own vine and your own fig tree and you are going to drink wine with the king. And I'm going to be there. And you know why I can say that with confidence? Because he planned my salvation. And all of you who have faith in Christ, you're going to be there too. And we are going to sing praises to the king forever and ever and ever. Is the gospel going to work out? Of course it is. Of course it is. I hope that, I hope for a couple of things, but I hope that above all that you realize whenever you struggle with that, you'll come back to these verses, Romans 8, 28 to 39. Burn that in your mind with indelible ink. Sweet assurance for your soul. Now we're coming to the end of our series on Romans. Um, it's not exactly true that he ends his objections at 8, he kind of goes into whole, how does that work with Israel in 9 to 11? But at the end of his defense of the gospel of grace, through all the objections, um, Paul ends with some words of praise. And then 12 to 16 is the implications of the life of the gospel. Please feel free to read that if you're, you're stirred in your spirit to want to know, how do I live now? Uh, and you might be thinking of a thousand different implications now. Oh, this is such good news. It's going to work. I got to tell everyone. I want to go to my room and cry and thank God for the fact that I don't need a fear anymore. But I want to end these words with the words that Paul ends at the end of his defense of the objections of the gospel of grace in Romans 11, a doxology of praise. Please turn with me as we, as we read these words together. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How imma- I forgot it actually. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. I didn't remember this bit. Ah, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And think about these verses. Who has given to God that he should repay them? Have you? From him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.